Scottish theologian Henry Scougal once wrote that the worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. That's kind of an old-fashioned way of saying that you can tell an awful lot about someone by paying attention to what they admire. Pastor Sam Storms put it this way, If you want to know what's most important about a person, take note of what's most important to that person. I'll give you an example. Imagine you have a new coworker in your office. It's not that uncommon for someone to hang an inspirational quote on the wall, maybe something from Thomas Edison or Vince Lombardi or Martin Luther King Jr. But this new coworker hangs up quotes from, say, Charles Manson or Adolf Hitler. That would be a bit unsettling, wouldn't it? Why? Because who and what someone admires often says an awful lot about them. See, the things and people we admire don't just reveal something about us, they shape us. We become like what we admire. This is a fundamental human truth, and it's one that ought to cause us to guard our hearts, to be sure that we are valuing and loving and trusting in the right things and in the right people. Psalm 115 teaches us this truth very effectively. It says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. The purpose of this psalm is to demonstrate that God alone is worthy of our highest trust and our highest praise. And the way the psalm does that is by drawing a contrast between the Lord and idols. One of the fundamental points the psalmist makes about idols is that they are made. Their idols are silver and gold, it says, the work of human hands. Something that is made is necessarily lower than the one who made it. Because the thing that is made is dependent upon the maker. An idol is made by human hands, while God, as the psalmist reminds us in verse 15, made heaven and earth. Idols are made. God is the maker. And springing from that fundamental contrast, the psalmist lodges seven complaints about these idols. First, they have mouths but do not speak. An idol is a lifeless statue. It has a mouth, but it never utters a single word. It does not reveal anything. Unlike God, who the writer of Hebrews says, spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. The true and living God is a speaking God. He makes himself known by his word. He issues promises and commands and declarations of truth. But idols, though they have mouths, do not speak. Next, they have eyes, but do not see. There is no accountability with idols because they don't see what we do. But there's also no hope because they are not watchful over us. In contrast, the psalmist says in verse 12, The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. Or to put it another way, the Lord blesses us by remembering us. 
it's not as if God forgets and then remembers. When it says the Lord has remembered us, it means that he has been mindful of us. He has regarded us, which is another way of saying he has never taken his eyes off of us. He watches over his people. God is totally unlike these idols, whereas they have eyes but do not see. He watches over his people with power and care. Next, the psalmist says of these idols, they have ears but do not hear. It doesn't matter how loudly you cry or how persistently you plead. Idols may have ears, but they can't hear you. In contrast, God always hears the prayers of those who call on him in Jesus' name. In fact, Jesus himself is seated at God's right hand, interceding for us. If you are a child of God, you have his ear. He hears you. He listens. Next, idols have noses but do not smell. Now, this one might seem strange. Why would it be comforting for us to know that God smells us? There are times when we've worked up a good sweat and we might not want God to smell us in that particular moment. But the Bible frequently pictures our worship as a pleasing aroma to God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.15 that we are the aroma of Christ to God. So if you are united to Jesus by faith, it's as if you smell like Jesus, which is to say God finds you pleasing. But idols having noses do not smell anything. They are unable to be pleased no matter how hard you try. But God is pleased with his children. Next, he says they have hands but do not feel. An idol may have hands, but its hands are useless. They're not able to reach out and save. In contrast, God is the one who saved Israel with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. What is more, God the Son became flesh and his hands were pierced for our transgressions. The hands of these idols are useless. Next, they have feet, but do not walk. An idol cannot get up and go anywhere. It has to be carried. It is burdensome. And God makes the point in Isaiah 46 that something that can be carried is not truly God. In contrast, God says, I will carry you. I will save. Finally, he says, they do not make a sound in their throat. Now that may sound essentially like the same idea as verse 5. They have mouths but do not speak. But here the throat is used to describe the internal person. It's akin to how we use the word heart or mind. Idols cannot make any noise come out of their mouth because there's nothing going on inside their head. They are empty, totally devoid of thought. So these idols are totally lifeless. They are unable to think, to walk, to feel, to smell, to hear, to see, and to speak. They are dead, which is why verse 8 is so sobering. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Here again is that universal human truth we began with. You become like what you worship and admire and trust. Of course, very few of us today have literal idols in our homes. I doubt you've ever gone to a silversmith or a carpenter and had them fashion an idol for you. But the question is, who and what do you give your praise to? Who and what do you place your trust in? It may be something material, 
like your financial security or your job. It may be a person, like a close family member or a celebrity or a politician. Ask yourself this question. Is there anything or anyone of whom I am unwilling to accept any criticism? Is there anything or anyone that I fear what might happen if I lost them? Those are some ways you can diagnose your own heart to see if you're harboring any idols. But the point of Psalm 115 is not just to point our attention toward the uselessness and emptiness of idols. It is also to point us toward the worth and power of God. Psalm 115 verse 3 is key. It says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Idols are earthbound. They are made, whether that means literally fashioned by human hands or simply fashioned in a human mind or heart. In contrast, God is in a position of absolute power. Our God is in the heavens. And while idols are unable to do anything, the psalmist reminds us that God does all that he pleases. In other words, the only limitation on what God can do is God himself. There is nothing outside God that can hinder him from doing what he wants to do. There is no one stronger than him, no one limiting his freedom. He does all that he pleases. So the only limitation on what God can do is within himself, his own character, his own good pleasure. To put it another way, the only thing God cannot do is that which displeases him. God cannot sin. He cannot make a mistake. He cannot do anything that is contrary to his own wise, righteous, and faithful character. And of course, that is very good news for us, isn't it? Because every facet of our salvation is tied to God's good pleasure. In Christ, the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell. Jesus was the beloved, sinless Son of God in whom God was well pleased. Yet it was the will of God to crush him and to raise him to life again. Even our response of obedience to God is an act that he is pleased to work in us. Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The only reason you and I can be pleasing to God is because God is pleased to work in us to make us pleasing to him. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Henderson Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit us on Facebook or check out our website, hendersonbaptist.org.